Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here, and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. Uh, my co-host right there next to me, Andy Davis. Hey, Andy, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Mike. It's uh, a little bit colder here today than I like, but it's about 30 degrees, so it's I guess it's that time of year, right? Winter is here. Winter is coming. Winter is here, to quote Game of Thrones, one of my yeah. all-time favorite shows. I think people people that live in different parts of the country, like you live in Texas, I live in Oklahoma, and we we kind of have like two seasons here we have hot and cold like there's really not much of a spring and not much of a fall we just go from one extreme to the other yeah last week i mean it's 45 degrees here now and we're supposed to get you know freezing precipitation potentially tomorrow and it's it was 90 degrees like last friday <laughs> i mean it's yeah same here it was like it was high 80s i think here you you guys get a little bit hotter and i think at times we get a little bit colder maybe yeah but it's certainly a world of extremes. Yeah, nuts. I can't believe it, man. This is the ninth episode of our podcast here. Nine episodes. That's that's pretty impressive. So far, so good. Uh, I think and the response has been really great from most people. Uh, in fact, almost all people. And I, I wanted to tell you that we, when this episode drops, we're... we're ranked usually in the top 50 of all hobby podcasts so that's certainly due to your influence so i appreciate that uh, i don't know about that but that's that's not bad i mean you know for for a relatively new podcast that seems pretty good yeah but i think we're building a great audience and all the people have been uh really great in terms of support and positivity and i appreciate that and we're just trying to do all sorts of cool things and Today, we're going to do something for the first time that we haven't done on the podcast yet, and that's a kind of player profile, a deep dive into, into the life, career, both baseball career and baseball card career of a guy that I just have tremendous respect for, uh, for what he did and what he meant to the game, the obstacles he had to overcome, and that's Roberto Clemente. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's hard to find. Well, I mean, I say it's hard to find. I've never really heard any collector or baseball fan that really had a bad thing to say about him. I mean, he seemed like he was a great guy as well as a, you know, heck of a baseball player. He was, and he, you know, I, I just want to go through his career. I want to talk about Everything about Roberto Clemente, which hopefully we can do a lot more of these player uh, spotlights, player profiles 
would love suggestions in the comments for people of who they'd like to see us do. But I really want to focus on players that kind of encompass that that vintage era that we're focusing on, kind of 1948 to 1980. And Clemente's career was smack through the middle of that, you know, 54 through, you know, 1970, the 72 season. Right. And of course, everybody remembers Clemente as being a guy that died young. And that's true. And we'll get into that. But let's start about, let's talk about his early beginnings. Uh, Clemente was born in Puerto Rico. And I guess one of the things I love about Clemente is he had to overcome being both black and Hispanic. Remember in the early 50s, right? Jackie had come up in 47. Integration was happening in baseball, but at a very snail's pace. I think a lot of people don't know that it wasn't just this flood of black players coming into the major leagues, it was a trickle, right? And so there weren't just every team going, yep, we're adopting this integration thing and we're, we're all in and bringing the best guys from everywhere. But Clemente caught the eye of some scouts when he was playing in Puerto Rico in the, in the winter leagues. And do you know who Clemente was actually originally drafted by? or signed by, he wasn't drafted, he was signed by a team. Do you know who he was signed by? Um, I do not. Um, if I had to, I'll take a guess, and this will probably be totally wrong, but I would say the Dodgers? You are correct. Okay. He was, he was signed as an 18-year-old kid by the by the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time. Uh, well, I mean, the only reason I would guess them is just because they were kind of the pioneers of, you know, bringing black players into professional baseball. So they were, they were ahead of the curve. So that's sure. uh, just lucky guess, but no, that, was a, that was a good guess. And it was a correct guess. <laughs> and so Clemente signed with the Dodgers in February of 54, went to play for the Montreal Royals, which is the same team that they sent Jackie Robinson to, if you remember, yeah. uh, before he was called up to the, to the majors. And he, you know, had a lot of issues. He was, you know, dealing with just the climate and because it's Montreal's, you know, cold in February or whatever and <clears throat> dealing with that language barrier, all that kind of stuff. One of the guys that was a huge influence on Clemente in his first year, believe it or not, was Tommy Lasorda playing for the Dodgers or triple uh, A team in Montreal. And so that's uh, something I've, I've learned so much about Clemente researching for this episode way more than I ever knew before. And I've, I've, as much as I appreciated him before, now I really have this extra, man, he went through a lot and did a lot and was just this amazing guy and had this amazing life. So Clemente plays for the Royals, Montreal Royals, uh, and the Pirates came and scouted him. And they were completely impressed. Not that Clemente was playing a lot for the, the Royals, but that he was just in pregame and just they were watching his arm because Clemente was renowned for his just cannon of an arm in right field and hitting during batting practice and things because he didn't play a lot, quite frankly. He was very sparingly played. And so the Pirates were talking to the Royals. The Pirates guy, the scout, was talking to the Royals manager and said, hey, 
don't be playing him a lot. Don't hurt our guy because we're going to draft him number one. And so they didn't. They they didn't play him a lot. He played sparingly that year. And, of course, then the Pirates drafted him number one overall in the draft at the end of the 54 season. Clemente makes his major league debut uh, in 55. He was, again, not that great early on in his career, which a lot of guys come up and struggle, you know, speak of Sandy Koufax or, you know, guys like that. It takes a little bit of time. And he was young, right? He was 19 years old, 20 years old. So it took him a little bit of time to adjust to being in the major leagues. But once he did and hit his stride, man, he was just one of the best in the game. Yeah, so, one of the ahead. things that I was going to say is like anytime that there's a right fielder that, that comes up in today's game and they have like a, a strong throwing arm, you know, that's one of the guys that always gets mentioned is, you know, Roberto Clemente because he had just an absolute cannon. And then to your point, you know, with him struggling – early on, I mean, he had to deal with so much more back then than what a young player does today, just culturally. I mean, just there's there's just a lot to it that that went into it, right? Yeah, for sure. And players today still struggle with that, quite frankly. Uh, There's a lot of adjustment. And then, even then, back then there wasn't as many. Now the major league is what? some giant percentage Hispanic players from the oh, Dominican, sure. and Puerto Rico and Venezuela and all those places. Wasn't yeah. that way, right? No. Uh, very different game. And so a, a lot of life adjustments along with baseball adjustments, you know, so, but man, he turned it on. He, he started uh, wearing number 13 actually in the first six weeks. And then he finally was able to, change to his number 21, which is there have been so many Latin players throughout the years wear number 21 in honor. The biggest one I remember is Ruben Sierra, who was also from Puerto Rico, and he uh, wore number 21 in honor of Clemente. And a lot of Latin players have done that over the years. I mean, he was a hero to the Latin community. It was, there's no question about it. And, uh, so 55, he has his rookie card, which is one of the all-time great, classic, iconic, whatever superlative word you want to use to describe it. It's a fantastic card, horizontal card, right? A wonderful headshot and then, a, you know, an action shot. Just a great card. I mean, you've seen it, obviously, right? Do you have one? I can't remember if you have one. You know, it's funny that you brought that up because – Right after this was been like a year and a half, two years ago, right after I bought my Hank Aaron rookie, the Clemente rookie was the next one that I wanted to get. And right at that time is when the trimming stuff really started to heat up. So I kind of like put that on the back burner, but that's that's definitely one that I still want to pick up for sure. Cause that's yeah, that's a classic right there. Yeah, I'm I'm blessed to have a PSA four of that card uh, that I only bought last year at the national. Yes, I remember that. That was that's a that's a great looking card too, the one you got. Yeah, I was thrilled to buy it. And it I've been a Clemente guy for a long time. 
And I think it also important to note, side note, personal note, I love, I, I was a Juan Gonzalez collector, Yvonne Rodriguez, Ruben Sierra, and that's not by accident. I I love the the flair that Hispanic players kind of play with, I guess, if that, and I, I mean that in a very complimentary way. Sure. And my entire adult life, I've been doing mission trips uh, through my church and going to exclusively Hispanic countries because I speak Spanish. And it's uh, always funny when I go to Guatemala or Cuba or wherever, and uh, they see this big, ugly white guy talking Spanish. And I have a pretty good Spanish accent. And so they, they're like, man, this guy can actually talk with us. And it. so I, I've always had this love and respect for Hispanic culture. And it, so it just made, obviously, I gravitate towards a guy like Clemente. And then his charity work just takes him to another level of respect. But getting back to his career, throughout the 50s, the Pirates were terrible. I mean, they were not very good. The reason they had the number one pick and they picked Clemente is because they were in last place. And yeah. they, you know, Clemente started an era for them of relative dominance in the National League. Because back then you didn't have divisions, right? It was National League, American League, World Series. No, no playoffs, no nothing other than the World Series. So early in his career or throughout the early part of his career, he takes the Pirates to the World Series in 1960, which is, of course, the famous Mazeroski home run in game seven over Barra's head, winning the World Series for the, the Pirates. Uh, what else? He was just uh, another cool little story about Clemente. And I didn't know this again until researching this was he actually was a part of the Marine Corps Reserves from 58 to 64. And okay. he would spend off seasons serving in the Marine Corps through those years and playing winter ball down in Puerto Rico. Talk about a busy guy, right? I mean, like that's that's pretty busy. <laughs> I'm going to be in the military. I'm going to be in, you know, uh, I'm going to play two different leagues. He was a manager in Puerto Rico. I mean, he just was a busy dude. One of the uh, since you were talking about some of the stuff you learned, here's here's something that I learned, and I, I had no idea, but. The first home run of his major league career, he actually – it was a walk-off home run in extra innings, and he had come into the game as a defensive replacement. Yeah. It was a walk-off. Yeah, like you said. Yeah. That was – that. that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to start, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and then early in his career in 56, uh, he hit the only documented walk-off inside the park grand slam in major league play. Can you imagine watching that game? I mean, Clemente was fast too. You know, he, he didn't steal a ton of bases, but he was that sneaky fast kind of guy. Um, He, uh, he hit a lot of triples, right? He did. He had, uh, he led the league once in 69 and he had double digit triples, which today would be, would lead the league, right? Every, if you had, anything double digits and he did that 
10 times, I think, in his career. Uh, so yes, lots of triples. So sneaky fast. Um, not a big power guy, though. A lot of, you know, he only hit, I say only, he hit 240 home runs in his career. He was a consistent kind of 15 to 20 home run guy in his career. Uh, the one year he hit 29 home runs was 66, which is coincidentally the same year he won his only MVP award. Uh, but he won four batting titles, which I don't think a lot of people know. He won 12 gold gloves, and he finished his career with the very famous 3,000, like exactly 3,000 hits when he doubled on, I think it was September 30th of the 72 season, was his exactly 3,000th hit. And, you know, uh, there is a, uh, there's a movie out there, and it's called Chasing 3,000. Yeah, it has with, uh, Ray Liotta, I think. Is oh yeah, it? yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, that is pretty Mac, good. Isn't it Bernie Mac? Is also the guy? No, wait, that's a different. No, that's no, Mr. that's three thousand. That's Mister Three Thousand. Yeah, okay. were, yeah. No, that's a different one. But yeah, this one, you know, this this guy and his family, they're traveling across the country to the game because they want to see Roberto Clemente get his three thousand hit. That's nice. kind of the story. Yeah. No, it, I haven't. It's, it's neat. You should watch it. Okay. Uh, so Clemente also, of course, uh, 15 All-Star games, uh, which is really cool. Back in the late 50s and through the – I can't remember what year it stopped, but they played two All-Star games during the year, uh, which is – I'd love to see two All-Star games. That's one of my favorite events is the All-Star game. Uh can, How did that break down? Do you know, like when, like when did they play those? They played one like at midseason, like they normally do, right? But when was the yeah, other? Like one in June and one in July, I think. They were okay. Pretty, Interesting. Uh, in two different cities, if I remember right. So, another big Hispanic player at the time, at least for Puerto Ricans, was Orlando Cepeda, who went on to have, who went on to be a Hall of Famer as well. And they went back to, after the 61 season, they went back to Puerto Rico and they had 18,000 people greet them at their part. I mean, talk about being a national hero to an entire country. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I can't get 18 people to show up, you know, anywhere to, to say hi to me. No. They had 18,000. Maybe if you had a little bit better arm. Maybe if I could throw like Clemente that would be true um you know and again I think underrated in terms of the hobby it's kind of hard he's overshadowed a lot by the big guys from that era which were Mantle, Mays, Aaron but Clemente was so good I mean in the after the 66 or 67 season they had kind of this poll in the winter meetings and pretty much everybody voted that Clemente was the best player in the league, edging out Carl Yastrzemski and Hank Aaron and Bob Gibson and Ron Santo, guys like that. I mean, he was incredibly well-respected during his career. I think a lot of people, again, because of the language barrier, he eventually learned English, but it was always broken and not, he wasn't terribly articulate in English during interviews and stuff. So a lot of people just didn't get to know him in the way that in America, anyway, 
American. He, he didn't have a he didn't have a very good relationship with the media, correct? Uh, I think it was lukewarm, but I think that was more a, a product of language barrier. What, yeah, language barrier for sure. Because if you're going to interview a guy, they probably didn't interview him a lot because they were worried about the quality of the interview, right? Right. Uh, but which is a shame by all, you know, all accounts, he was a great teammate and a, and a great guy. And so I don't think it was ever a question of his character. It was just a question of his, his interviewability, I guess, if that makes sense. Which yeah. is kind of unfair. Well, but, I mean, there's a lot of guys that don't have good relationships with the media. Right. Good point. <laughs> so the, the Pirates win the World Series in 1960 and 1961. Again, Clemente had been an all-star already. He was a great player at that point. But in 61, he got some advice from the Pirates batting coach who happened to be Hall of Famer George Sisler, who knows a little bit about hitting. I mean, George Sisler hit over 400 in a season. And he got Clemente to modify his swing and use a heavier bat to slow his swing speed down. We think about guys wanting to increase swing uh, bat speed, right? And yeah. so he suggested that. And Clemente kind of blossoms in his career from that point forward just to be this you know 200 hit season a season kind of guy um because after the 61 seasons really 61 he hit 201 hits and 211 and 64 209 202 so he became a much better contact hitter and hit 351 and 61 so i would say the advice worked you know from mr schistler Sisler, I should say, there's no F, there's no H in there, but led them uh, in 71. Again, they won the World Series over the Orioles, who were a juggernaut in the American League at that time with, you know, two, two Robinsons, Brooks and Frank, and they were just a great team. And uh, Clemente won the 71 World Series MVP. He was that good. And at this point, he's, you know, 36, right? Yeah, that was really towards the end. Yeah, towards the end of his career. And then after the 72 season, he decides to go on a flight down to Guatemala. Or, I'm sorry. Let me double check my, is it Guatemala or Nicaragua? Excuse me. He was going to Nicaragua. There was an earthquake in Nicaragua on December 23rd. He'd organized a bunch of relief flights to help people down there. And he had, this was the fifth flight. The first four had been diverted because of the corrupt government in Nicaragua and the relief wasn't actually getting to the people. So what he does is he goes, I'm going to go on this fifth flight to make sure that, uh, the, the relief actually goes to the people that are affected by this earthquake. And that's the flight that crashed into the Atlantic Ocean soon after takeoff. It was uh, way overloaded, mechanical problems with the plane, history of that. And so on New Year's Eve, 1972, Clemente passed away. His body was never recovered. Um, it's interesting. He was some little side notes about that. One of his teammates, Manny Singian who 
I think was a catcher, if that sounds right. Can't remember. Doesn't matter. He was the only member of the Pirates that wasn't at the funeral. And the reason he wasn't at the funeral is because he went down there and was diving near, near at the crash site to find his friend's body. I mean, that's just crazy. And also, there was a guy named Tom Walker who was a pitcher in playing winter ball in Puerto Rico and was helping Clemente load the planes. And Tom was going to go on the flight. And Roberto said, no, you're single. Why don't you enjoy your New Year's Eve? And told him not to go. And he didn't and was saved. And his son is actually Neil Walker, who's a, oh, wow. who is a um, major league player. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So. So he was. So this other guy was actually out there diving, looking for his body. So, so he didn't go to the funeral because he wanted to still believe that he was somewhere out there. He was going to find him, or I mean, yeah. his body, I guess. Yeah, I mean wow. that's that's how much I think respect and and love and you know he ended up uh, obviously passing away. The Baseball Writers Association made an made a special vote for the Hall of Fame. And because of his untimely death and elected Clemente to the Hall of Fame with a 92%, you know, he got 92% of the vote. Uh, and that has now become kind of a standard of someone, it's now a six month wait if they die instead of five years after they play. So that kind of became, because of Clemente, that happened. They now have an award, and then we'll get into some cardboard stuff because I know that's what everybody really wants to talk about. But I just find this stuff so fascinating and so cool. The Roberto Clemente Award is given every year by Major League Baseball to the player that best exemplifies sportsmanship and charity. And I, there's a, a description of it. I just can't remember it all off the top of my head. But yeah. every year. And that's a very special uh, award to receive. Each team, sure. I think, nominates one player for that. And then it, they're selected and they receive the Clemente Award, which is, I think, great of baseball to do that yeah anytime that you're mentioned in the same breath with roberto clemente that's that's usually a good thing yeah that's high praise for sure yeah for sure so we talked about the rookie card his 56 card is also just fantastic another horizontal card uses the same portrait as the 55 tops if i remember uh then you've got you know he's got 57 58 all the, you know, all the way through his last card being 1973. And I love the 73 tops card because it, on the back, when you look at it, you see the 3000 hits exactly. And, uh, you know, his cards are all, I, I, I don't know an ugly Roberto Clemente card. Um, they're all fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of like what my favorites would be. Obviously, you know, the 55 is awesome, but I, I think the 71 is another really good looking one. Of course, that's just a classic looking set. Um, Very hard, by the way, because it's a semi-high number. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, just being the black borders, so condition sensitive. So if you can find one of those that, you know, doesn't have to be like a super high technical grade, but as long as it just, you know, find one that looks good, they just, they present really well. Um, let's see. What's another one that's a great looking one that I like? Seventy-two um, is great because he's throwing the ball up and catching a ball. Yeah, I think it's the sixty-four. I like that one really well. The white that's border. Another, 
Yeah. Yeah. What's what's your favorites? Oh man. Uh I like the 70 tops a lot. The 71 you mentioned. Uh God, it's hard. The, any of the 50s stuff is just beautiful. Um 72 you know, action. That's another good one. That's right. Because yeah. most of his cards are headshots. True. True. Uh what's interesting about Clemente's role, his deal with tops is do you remember what they called him? So most of his cards throughout the late fifties and sixties, he was named Bob Clemente. Yeah. And he did not like that. He did not like that. He was <laughs> Roberto Clemente. Do not call me Bob. Yeah. And, uh, that, you know, I think it's 55 and 56 tops cards are Roberto Clemente. And yeah, that which is over. Let me let me look. I, I want to make sure I'm right on that. Yeah, 57 is Bob Clemente. And what what is the story with that as far as like why why did they insist on putting it as Bob? Well, he was becoming a star, and I think they wanted to Americanize his name. Okay. To make him more appealing to the masses, which again seems silly today but yeah yeah i mean like we wouldn't do that today to a player unless no. they do it themselves like albert don't call me joey bell or giancarlo <laughs> mike stanton you know there's there's, right. there's guys today that'll that'll change their name on their own but not not in, unintentionally like this one was yeah not not against their will they put right. some of them <laughs> Right. So I think he went, I'm going to look here. I can't remember when they finally went back to Roberto Clemente. It looks like 63, at least on the 63 Fleer, he's called Roberto Clemente, but he, he is Bob Clemente on his tops cards, you know, all the way essentially to, golly, I'm looking just till 1970. They finally went back to Roberto. So, so, so from 57 to 70, or 69, I should say, he was Bob Clemente. And I guess wow. he finally figured out a way to get him to change it back. Yeah, that seemed crazy. I, don't, yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's, it's hard to even understand that type of thinking, I guess, if, since you know, we weren't around during that time. So it just, I don't know, it seems weird. It, it, it's not just seems weird. It is weird. It is weird. You're right. It, yeah. It seems weird because it is. So wow. the super expensive cards for Clemente are 55, 56, 57 and high grade are all super expensive. The 71 is expensive, but most of the other ones can be had pretty reasonably in kind of that mid grade. There are several PSA set registries that you can do for Clemente player runs. You can do, there's just, and this will be true of kind of any player. So this is a good time to kind of talk about that for any player that we talk about in the future is you'll always have a master set that you can build, which is literally every card they appeared on by every manufacturer. So if they had a Jello card or a Hostess or a Kellogg's or whatever, those will all be included on the master run. And then you have, 
just you can do a basic top set you can do a, which is just his tops base cards you can do a just a what's called a basic set which is in clemente's case case all of his tops cards plus his 63 clear and then you've got uh super tops run where it's all the tops cards including the multiplayers and the all-star cards and all that kind of stuff so lots of options if you want to go out and build a roberto clemente run there's a lot of different ways you can tackle that so how about um do you, are you familiar with the pricing on some of his venezuelan cards uh no but i bet they're through the roof i would think so i mean i'm, I'm not sure either but yeah those those usually are pretty pricey generally speaking and given that he's i mean i would think in venezuela that would be a very sought after card oh so, yeah i think so right and yeah. high demand so probably not a lot of those are kind of running around out there but no i'm not familiar but i bet they're crazy yeah good question and then in terms of autographs man clemente is a toughie yeah uh i again i'm blessed to have one i have an album page that's signed by him and bob beal and another pirate and uh again it's kind of one of those i'm just glad to have them but you can routinely pay for just a, a kind of cut signature or whatever on a piece of paper or some an index card something like that you're going to pay again autographs are much different than cards because what it's on the quality of the signature all determines price it's it's very fluid very sensitive to those things and so you're going to pay anywhere from say 700 to 1500 dollars for a clemente autograph not cheap what about his uh like autograph does, does he have very many i would guess no but you'll know this does he have very many like playing day cards that are signed I, I wouldn't use the word many so i agree they are scarce they're not impossible yeah uh, clemente always and this was because back then they're in the 70s you know he passed away in 72. so there's no sharpies weren't a big deal back then so it was all ballpoint pen yeah <clears throat> and if you've ever seen his autograph it's incredibly complex is probably the right word it's very uh, just kind of all over the place. It's just, it looks almost like scribbling. And it's usually done at a weird angle. And anyway, point being, his autograph was also very large. So it was hard to fit on a card. It, yeah. and it, it would, and there are cards out there, but you're going to pay, again, depending on the quality of the autograph, et cetera, and what card it is, I don't know, 1500 to four or five grand. For a playing days card of Clemente, so and and again, remember back then, having a card signed was tantamount to destruction of the card. Yeah, and and so a lot not a lot of people did that back then. today. We'd consider it very normal, but back then that was not a common practice. You would have you would have players sign a, a an autograph album or you know a, your ticket stub or you know whatever you had on hand. You certainly wouldn't use a card. And so it was just uncommon for sure, rare, but they're out there. You're just going to pay for them. For 
<laughs> yeah. Like sure. how, how often does something like that pop up at one of the major rare. Very rare. You'll you if you see them, you'll see them in auction houses mostly. Yeah. Uh, not something you're gonna find on eBay a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, if ever, because that's that's considered a just a tremendously high end item, and those will go typically to the auction houses. Yeah, I know a lot of people like collect, like Hall of Fame rookie autograph cards. Like I would guess, there's not many of those. Uh, I, if I had to guess, I would guess there's probably twenty of those in existence. Wow, that would be my guess. There's very very few of those. And those would command. I wouldn't be shocked if one of those went for ten grand or more. Yeah, I would. I would have thought more than that even. Yeah, if they're crazy. That, if they're that tough to find, yeah, because a lot of people out there love to collect his stuff. So if there's that limited of a supply, wow. Yeah, it's, and a lot of people that have it probably aren't selling, right? Right. Yeah. Why would you? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to another one. You're not going to be able to replace it, right? That's right. They're not all over the place, but, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's got just so many great cards and a lot of them are headshots, as you mentioned, but that's not a bad thing. He's, he's, I think a lot like Willie or not Willie Mays, uh, Ernie Banks. He's just kind of got this look on him and, uh, just kind of a fun loving, love the game, love playing, you know, enthusiastic. So, and then that came across in his cardboard on his cards. So. Yeah. And I think like one of the things you mentioned earlier about, you know, the reason that uh, you like a lot of the flair and stuff like that with players like him. And another thing that I think really appeals to a lot of people is that um, he came up there to hit, right? Like he, he didn't walk much. <laughs> And he really didn't strike out that much by today's standards either. Like he he came up there to hit, and that's that's what he did, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, action action player. Absolutely. He only averaged about forty one walks a season. Yeah, right. I think I was looking at his stats. Like I think his his career high was like fifty six. Right. And a lot yeah. of them years, like it'd be like in the twenties and thirties. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's uh, crazy for a whole season. I think I've heard a guy like like Vladimir Guerrero modeled his approach at the plate to Clemente. And yeah. obviously Guerrero is renowned for swinging at anything, uh, including balls bouncing to the plate, you know, and Clemente was a lot like that free swinger, yeah. you know, was up there to hit and, and his average he, 317 career average. He was pretty good at it, you know, he, he knew how to hit. Uh, is another guy. I know you like Dre. He, he's, he's, he's up there to hit, you know, <laughs> for sure. And that's it. I mean, he didn't mind. Going down great, me. <laughs> yeah. Great mentality though. I think to do that. And, uh, sure. and, so, and it's not like these guys are just like, you know, just wild swingers. I mean, like they can hit bad pitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I like that because it's action, you know. That's what baseball needs more action. It does. It needs to be faster, but that's a different video. We'll do that on another <laughs> right. one. 
so yeah finishing up here um any other thoughts about clemente you want to share or anything i mean is he just like you said you know he just had a fascinating life um you know all the way from how his career started to ultimately how it ended i mean just everything in between there was just you know just very fascinating i think if people really want to dive into him and, and look at you know just just go go back and read some of the stories about him go on youtube watch some of the highlights i mean it, it's great to see him like on some of those highlights i think there's probably a lot of them from that world series where he was the mvp you know him just like you know just killing it around the bases just sliding into third you know crazy it's like a lot of action so i i enjoy watching the highlights and stuff of him so i wish i would have got to have seen him play he's he's the kind of player i would like me too and luckily through baseball cards and other memorabilia we can remember him and you know if he's if, if you like that kind of player and again he's going through some of the greatest sets of all time right through this vintage era he's one of those guys that it's kind of a upper middle end in terms of, you know, he's not as expensive as Mays and Aaron and Mantle, but you can, he's a great guy to collect and he's just got so many great cards and, and that just, that's kind of the best homage we can give to a player from that era is to go, man, I love everything. Again, I never saw him play, but everything I read and hear and watch about him, makes me want to own his cards and that's a connection that you can make with cards that um is just unique and special yeah absolutely cool well man i hope uh everybody enjoyed our first player spotlight player profile of roberto clemente uh please like you know subscribe to us check us out go leave a review on apple podcasts if you can we'd love to you know get feedback from everybody out there let us know who else you think we should do in this series as we kind of rotate among different topics. Andy and I have yeah, a lot. I'll be, to, I'll be interested to hear like who people want to want us to talk about in a, in a player spotlight. Yeah, because these are fun. And that's what's great about vintage, too. I should have said this at the beginning. Now it's at the end. So hopefully if you're <laughs> listening at the end, you'll get this little pearl of wisdom that I'm about to lay on you is that vintage allows you to collect this is just true of baseball cards probably but especially in vintage you can be a player collector you can be a team collector you can be a just a certain set collector there are just so many different ways to attack it and tackle it and enjoy it and love it that just whatever floats your boat whatever makes you happy you know go out and do it but doing player runs is one of the most fulfilling things i think you can do in the vintage era it's getting all the players cards throughout their career it, it's so cool to lay them out and see them all together and see how they age over time and it, it's a great way to enjoy the hobby and it's way more obtainable to collect all the cards of a player from a vintage era as opposed to today where i mean some of these guys i mean they probably have ten thousand cards different cards some of these guys nowadays right Right. There's no way you can collect all of them, right? Great point. Um, as an example, the Roberto Clemente, if you were just to do his basic set, there's only 20 cards. Yeah. 
And even his master set, which is everything, only has 251 cards. And so, meaning it's, like you just said, very obtainable, reasonable in cost. It obviously depends on what grade you're going for and stuff like that. But if you want to do a nice mid-grade run, it's not going to cost you a fortune to do Roberto Clemente. Yeah, you don't have to worry about one-of-ones. Right. Parallels, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's 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 a different ball game. And if you're if you're a completionist, then it's definitely more obtainable. For sure. Well, Andy, man, thanks for going on this journey with me today about yeah. Roberto. Always fun, man. Always fun. Yeah, we all we're always learning. And I learned a lot through this. And yeah, I did, too. It's it, it's just great. So. Again, thanks everybody for listening, watching, participating in whatever way you are. We really do appreciate it and don't take it for granted that you're spending a lot of time to hear us talk about this stuff. So thank you very much. And uh, hey, keep collecting. Keep collecting. <laughs>